R. Kelly stands up with Gail King, Bryce Harper gets a home, another tough week for Navy communicators, and we deep dive on brand reputation. All this and more on episode 10 of Three Seasons of Pop. Three C's in a Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Bashan Mann, and with me on the show, as usual, Chris Cervello and John Schofield. And we thank you for joining us again this week on Three C's. If you want more of the Provision Conversation, follow us on Twitter and give us your thoughts at ProV Advisors. That's P-R-O-V Advisors. Or check us out on the web, www.provisionadvisors.net. As always, we look forward to hearing from you. We begin the show today by looking in the rearview mirror at a bundle of news headlines we saw this week. I say we approach this in a rapid-fire exercise, gentlemen. Chris, what's first on the list? All right, Bash. Uh, Gail King and R. Kelly, your thoughts. Oh, my goodness. Trying to look at this with my professional public relations hat on, one of the more disturbing things, aside from him sort of just losing it uh, on camera, was the look, look at the, uh, what was the exact quote was, which camera am I on? Which camera am I on? And then looking, <laughs> looking, looking to the camera and then just un, unfolding and, and, and everything. I mean, that was, his publicist had to have been, I think in the actual video uh, that you saw with him, there's a, a, a gentleman that comes in and tries to calm him down. And, and I know they, uh, they broke the interview and they had to calm him down. But that was just ridiculous. My favorite part of the whole deal was how Gail just sat there and she was like, Robert, <laughs> like she was his mom. And, and that's what I'm, I'm of course, an, a, I'm, I'm a notorious conspiracy theorist, com- particularly when it comes to crap like this, where I have to imagine that there's some part of it where there's a PR dude in the back who's really slimy saying, hey, how about we stage him having a total breakdown? And because... Like, he's a big dude. He's not like Kevin Hart. You know, he's a big guy, and he's standing up, losing his, his stuff there. And Gail just sat there, cool as a cucumber, and goes, Robert. So kind of an interesting thing, a viral video, but hats off to Gail for keeping her stuff together. All right, number two, Bryce Harper goes to Philly. 13 years, $330 million. John, the significance for baseball and uh, for uh, the free agent market. Uh, I'll lead it off again by saying I'm never making another sports prediction um, on the show because obvious, I, I am now batting Chris Davis on uh, sports predictions on the show. But I think it means a lot in that it, it's a significant contract from the standpoint of it building the narrative for the next contracts after that, which is what do the stars in each league sign for next? What does Patrick Mahomes get uh, when he gets out from under his rookie contract? What does Mike Trout get in two years when he eventually signs with the Phillies? Like I said a couple of pods ago, we're not far from that contract where there is a company, there is a investor, there is a sports owner saying, eh, let's throw a billion dollars at this dude. It is really all about the money, isn't it? What's the significance of going to a rival, um, a division rival, for less money per year? You just wanted the number. You're just looking at that number of $330 million, and you're not even the highest paid person in baseball. Um, 
it, it stinks a little bit to me. And not that I'm a, a, a born and raised, you know, DC national, uh, DC nationals fan, uh, but I do live here. So I do pay attention like the both of you um, pay attention uh, to what the team is doing. Uh, they just not want to be uh, in Washington any longer. Um, you know, hey, look, you know, like you said, John, you know, good luck because these are the people that threw snowballs at Santa Claus. All right, what do we got next, Chris? Moving along, uh, the NFL Combine. Uh, the big news out of the Combine this past week, Kyler Murray stood proudly at five foot ten inches. <laughs> Uh, on his interview answers, uh, left a lot to be desired on those interview answers. And that was the big story coming out of the combine. Does any of this matter? Is the combine relevant or has this become a, a, a petting zoo and a, and a filler before the draft? I'll, I'll start it off. I, I actually think it's the brilliance of the NFL and we can criticize the NFL all day long, but what, why doesn't this exist for major league baseball? Why isn't there, why aren't they, why aren't they broadcasting the combine on the NHL, NHL network for NHL players? This is the NFL having built a dog and pony show uh, to fill ratings. And you and I were talking about this earlier, Chris, when, when we were trying out part one and Hawk and Dub today, <laughs> that, that I really do believe it's something that they need to do in February and March in order to build – a year-long narrative for NFL PR. And you know what? It's working. You know what I did the other day? I sat there and watched a bunch of 360-pound fat guys run the 40-yard dash. And you know what? I was absorbed by it. I loved it. I, I wanted to go out and run a 40-yard dash. And, and I also wanted to gain some weight to 360 pounds. But that's what they've done. It's a dog and pony show. I don't think it matters, but it's brilliance by NFL PR to actually command that much attention during the offseason. No other sport does it. Bashan, do you do you care that Kyler Murray didn't throw one pass um, or do anything uh, to show his physical prowess? It doesn't matter to me. I mean, I think a couple of years ago there was um, there was a heavy emphasis on the Wonderlick scores of certain quarterbacks. Um, no, doesn't it just does not matter to me. I saw what the guy did at Oklahoma. I know a little bit of his background in Texas. Let the guy put on a uniform, get out there, put the shoulder pads on, strap up and play. All right, let's let's move on. Yeah, what do we got next? All right, number four. Um, another tough week for Navy Public Affairs. Uh, as the week ended, there were news articles pointing out shortcomings. Uh, and then as the week began, uh, another article uh, that uh, cast blame for uh, – some tactical problems made by uh, the public affairs team. Um, and, uh, and then to add insult to injury, a, uh, actually a well done uh, blog uh, took a shot um, at the so-called lethal public affairs, making fun of the fact that everything has become lethal here in the department of defense, mm -hmm. including public affairs. Um, add that to the fact that there's more confusion surrounding the upcoming budget rollout um, and it seems that all anyone wants really from the Navy is a story. And at times it seems that no one, especially the professional communicators, are willing to share that story. Even with all that, I remain convinced that this too shall pass, gentlemen. Even with these blemishes, uh, there's a solid team of young communicators. They've got a strong tradition of doing the right thing. 
in my view is that they'll uh, pull themselves up by their bootstraps, hopefully learn the lessons that they need to learn and uh, quickly put this uh, in the rearview mirror. Your thoughts? I was taught by a certain ex-PAO or former PAO and uh, now works in the defense industry that the PAO should never be the story and that you should strive every single day to never be the story. Uh, if you've done that, that's the cardinal sin. That's the, that's the royal screw up that you don't want to be uh, committing. And, and that's, that's really where I cringe. I'm not going to criticize anybody. I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to, I'm not going to throw darts from my glass house here, but the advice I'd always give any PR professional in the military, out of the military, don't become the story and try as hard as you can to, to put the subject matter experts first and, and keep yourself in the background because when you see yourself on the cover of Navy times or in a, in a social media blog as the star of the show, that's really when you failed. John, you make some excellent points. One of the things that we hear a lot or that, you know, we, we talk about uh, in our Navy careers is understanding commander's intent. And if you approach public affairs and the, the profession of public affairs going into your job, knowing that you want it to be your absolute duty to make sure that you make your your, your boss, your, your, your CEO, um, put them in the best possible light uh, in terms of the mission that they have to accomplish. If you approach it that way each and every day that you go out there, you're gonna find success. And the minute you try and go either left or right uh, of that focus, um, then you're probably gonna land in, 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 some, in some rough water. Um, I, can, I can tell you one thing that you have to, um, ensure that your people understand, that your bosses understand, is that if you aren't telling the story correctly, accurately, whether it's good or bad, someone else is going to jump in and tell it for you. I think we've, we've said that on this podcast before. Be forthright, be timely, and just be honest with your audience. But that's tough when the shit hits the fan, right? Because there are people who are pressed when there are outside pressures, political pressures, and, and perceived, perceived tumult in the arena, that all of a sudden that, that public affairs professional just folds under that pressure. I don't know how much we have actually trained, you know, DINFOS at Fort Meade doesn't train that sort of poise under pressure. You can't train those scenarios where someone actually keeps their head about them mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and knows what to do when the shit hits the fan. Uh, and, and I don't know how you teach it. You just have to find the right people to do it. That's right. Uh, you need to ask the right questions and you need to rely on the, on the right experts. But in this particular case, when, when the pressure got, when the pressure went up a little bit, people obviously didn't perform. To your last point, John, um, these are, these are lessons that, these young communicators really need to spend the time learning from, uh, getting better from, um, and then making sure that in the future, they make different mistakes and not the same ones that they may have made uh, this time. If they do that, um, I think this community will be fine and will continue to, uh, to be able to do uh, what it needs to do. I'm rooting for them. We don't need any fainting goats out here. Exactly.
Lastly, um, on a somber note for, for me, um, Bash, you mentioned it at the end of our podcast. Uh, la- last week, I drove to Ohio for my uncle's funeral. Mm-hmm. Uh, my uncle was a teacher at the same school in Hamilton, Ohio for 53 years. And I was amazed by the outpouring of support and love uh, from that, uh, the entire community. For those of you that have had people in your life that have touched you um, and have, have influenced you or have set you on the right path, um, my uncle was that guy for, for lots of people. Um, he was that teacher that we all remember. Um, I find myself thinking about the power of storytelling and how um, powerful even just a short story was to um, grab us and to move us. Now, obviously, there was a mood that was set by the entire weekend, but uh, those stories uh, at my aunt's house, at the wake, during the mass, uh, and afterwards, um, they, they were really uh, compelling. And the power of short, heartfelt anecdotes or stories are tremendously influential as a communication tool. Um, And I kind of wondered, and I wanted to throw it over to you, why people are so good at it at funerals and events like that, but but so bad at it when it comes to maybe standing in front of your people um, or standing in front of a crowd of media. Is it because PR guys like us try to beat the authenticity out of them? Uh, or is it that just that people aren't comfortable? You know what, Chris, I think it has to go with environment. I grew up on the Hudson River. Uh, I can remember days, uh, mostly in the, in, the, in the summer, where my grandfather would have me down at the, uh, at the Croton Yacht Club. And listening to what they would, I'll, I'll call them river rats. That's what they were, river rats. Guys that just hung out at the dock all day. And these guys could spin yarns just day after day after day. Uh, and I sat around and just listened to these guys, uh, coking and joking uh, and telling stories uh, about their lives, uh, things that moved them, things that they saw uh, tall tales are not uh, stories of fishing and, and uh, it's environment. That was the environment they were in. They were comfortable in it so they could sit there and, and, and speak all day long. And if you take them out of that environment and you put them in front of a microphone and in front of an audience, some of that could go away or a lot of it could go away. John, before you uh, before you jump in, I, I want to include uh, in the write-up for the podcast, I read an article this morning uh, from the Hoffman Agency taking a critical look at PR professionals um, and as a profession, how we sometimes, in addition to what you said, Bash, about it being a different environment, um, how sometimes we focus too much on the messaging. Give us a short soundbite, uh, stick with your, your three your three C's, your three commercials, if you will. And we discourage people um, who may be comfortable uh, using anecdotes and stories to make their point. Hoffman made uh, a, a number of good points uh, for folks to consider. It's worth a read. John, over to you for the last word. So what I think the true nature of, of that discussion is, is not necessarily telling people people your story. It's sharing that story. And that is that I think so many people want to tell people about what their business model is or tell people what their product is or tell people what their messages are. And we really need to get back into the aspect of sharing. Whether people participate in it or not is up to them. But what you're trying to communicate is an empathetic interest in people sharing 
what you've experienced, whether it's the grief of a funeral, whether it's the happiness of a, of a marriage or a wedding, whether it's uh, your experience at work, it's sharing that experience with people. That's how you actually get people on board with you. And that's how we should be storytelling going forward. Not by telling people, it should be story sharing, not storytelling. Uh, folks, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna push forward, take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll be back with Deep Dive. You're listening to Three Season of Pod. Provision Advisors, we prepare your team for the what-ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead. Folks, we're back on Three Season of Pod. It's time for Deep Dive. This week, the Axios-Harris Poll 100 was released. Now, this poll ranks the reputations of the most visible U.S. companies. The poll sampled more than 18,000 Americans, and the rankings were billed as, quote, a measurement of what real people think right now about the companies in our cultural conversation. All right, Chris, this seems right up your, uh, right up your alley. You want, you want to walk us through some of these findings? I, I will do that. Um, I'll also put a link in the, uh, in the write-up for those that want to check it out. Uh, this is one of the reasons yes, that I really enjoy it. Uh, Axios. Uh, They did a great job of breaking this down. Um, They identified three big trends and then there was kind of a uh, a takeaway at the end that that we'll hit. So uh, first off, um, the West Coast tech stocks known as the FANG, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google Mm -hmm. all fell amid privacy scandals. The second trend was uh, looking at particularly celebrity CEOs as a liability. Yeah, pointed to Elon Musk and the problems that he had with his company, particularly uh, over the last couple months. They saw Tesla drop 39 spots from number three to 42, which is a pretty significant drop. When you dive into that, uh, they were declines in character, trust, and ethics. So this is where the, the leader of your company really costs the overall brand Uh, that the company has been trying to build. According to Axios, the lessons for chief communication officers, uh, folks like us, is don't put all your eggs in the CEO basket. Better to spread out your authority across leadership and pick up your social issues uh, uh, carefully. So, um, you know, in some cases you can have this, uh, you know, larger than life CEO, larger than life leader that is really who the brand is built around. The problem with that is, is that so goes their their personal popularity, uh, so goes the brand. And uh, mm-hmm. you, you, you want to watch out for that. Lastly, uh, they call it the wellness revolution. And in this case, supermarkets were the big winners. Uh, Wegmans, uh, which um, my family goes to, I think, eight days a week. Love Wegmans. Right, exactly. Ranked number one. Uh, they led all 10 rankings uh, in the culture, ethics, and citizenship areas. Publix was number six. Kroger 21, Aldi 23, all of which also ranked high for trust, ethics, and culture, which seemed to be the core um, of how consumers view that brand. Finally, and this is where I'll throw it over to you guys, really for the first time in the poll's history, in the, in the four-year history of the poll, people called out. Um, so they answered the questions and then they said, hey, we've got additional feedback for you. They called out the U.S. government as a company that they think about. Uh, and according to the poll, they hate it. Thoughts on uh, on companies' brands uh, and uh, thoughts on the government being at the bottom of that list. I think you have to point to a couple of of examples where it's really about that figurehead and how much you put other people out in front of it. 
for example, here locally for me and for you guys, the, the Washington Redskins fan base hates Daniel Snyder. Here is the figurehead of that franchise, and every single loss that that, that, that franchise endures, uh, fair or unfair, whether it's because of the players or the coaching, it, the, the, the refrain every single time is that Daniel Snyder sucks and, and he's the worst owner in history and blah, blah, blah. So I think it, it points a lot to this idolatry that, that people have toward uh, figureheads, toward leaders of companies like Zuckerberg, like Bezos, uh, like Daniel Snyder, like owners of sports teams. And, and, and if you have a really good one who's inclusive and, and knows when to be in the spotlight and when not to be in the spotlight, then I think you're good. If, like Elon Musk, and, and I keep coming back to that case where all the, all the miners were, were stuck under, underground and, and he went out and got in front of the story, and, or not the miners, the, the, uh, the Thai soccer team, mm-hmm. and, and Elon came out like, hey, yeah, we, we, can, we can solve this problem. No reason to get out in front of that, but it, it could be It could be ego. Um, it could be the the yearning to be in the spotlight, as, as you hear sociologically, that that people in the spotlight, like Jesse Smollett, for that, for example, you know what Tony Kornheiser said, yeah, that that people in the spotlight, the thing they fear the most is getting out of the spotlight. Um, so, if if you have that figurehead if you have that ceo if you have that president if you have that owner if you're the chief of communications and you have that person who understands that that they need to lead the company but not be the face of the company um then i think you're good it is it is eye-opening to to see what drives uh people uh what moves you to step away from a product or uh or or you know move another product higher up on the list. You know, I, I understand, you know, we looked at that Facebook number and them going, you know, from number 51 to number 94. Um, and I understand that there are a large number of people that are just moving away from Facebook altogether. However, from just my own personal view, you know, I, I feel like Facebook is still thriving. I don't know what that means for Facebook when you go from 51 to 94 uh, and their bottom line. I just think that demographic uh, shifts uh, slightly to to one side. I think you're um, still making a ton of money. Yeah, right, exactly. You know, what's people were talking about finding Robert Kraft, and what exactly does that mean to find Robert Kraft? Um, it just doesn't doesn't mean much. And at the end, you know, I don't know how much all of this means. You know, we saw something uh, with Gucci uh, recently about a particular sweater. Uh, that resembled a, a certain uh, racial degradation, but people, uh, Gucci's fine. Gucci is going to do uh, uh, just fine, and, and the people who, who may or may not have been offended by it are going to be like, eh, "I still like their product. I'm going to go back to it." So I just, you know, I don't know how long that stays in your public consciousness. Is what I'm trying to, to get at. People tend to revert back to what's comfortable, uh, revert back to what what they know, what they uh, has, has always given them either happiness, joy, or, or some level of, of contentment. I am very much drawn to, to, to this poll just to see, you know, just sort of where, where people are 
on things. And then and lastly, I'll say the views of our, of our United States government uh, and having it, you know, towards the, the bottom of the, of the group or, or dead last even. But you know what? I kind of feel like our government, as we elect officials, I think is a healthy uh, number uh, of, our, of our citizenry. Uh, I know it's not all. Uh, some people just, you know, as is their right, choose not to vote. But our government is a reflection of us, in my opinion. Um, and until we decide to um, put people in office or stop complaining from the sidelines and actually run ourselves, we're going to get the government that, that we get if we're really upset about it and we really feel bad about it, that maybe we'll really do something rather than just scream into microphones. Well, and that's really the point of this segment, right? I mean, to, to dig a little bit deeper, I mean, uh, the, those numbers by themselves are, are simple data points, but to walk away from a discussion on brand, uh, which tends to be this kind of squishy metric or squishy idea in many people's minds, but to walk away from it and think about tangibly uh, ideas of trust, ethics, culture, citizenship, vision, uh, th those are things that as communicators, we can help shape and highlight uh, for either a person or, or a company. Um, so if you're interested, that, that's what I take away, like you guys, um, it, you know, beyond the ups and downs, uh, you know, the plinkoing of these companies on the, on the list, uh, being able to look at those uh, bins and think about, okay, how do you help uh, reinforce or grow or maintain a brand uh, based on those bins. Uh, that, that's what's exciting about looking at something like this. Gentlemen, great points, great points. Let's leave it right there. Uh, folks, stay with us. We'll be back with On the Horizon. You're listening to Three Season a Pod. At Provision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity. Welcome back to 3Cs with Provision Advisors. All right, gentlemen, let's look out on the horizon at what next week might bring us. Chris, you're up first. So I'm interested in watching the reaction to Alex Trebek's announcement that he has stage four pancreatic cancer. As you guys know, uh, my dad died of creatic cancer eight years ago, and it's a motherfucker, uh, and it, it will tear you to shreds. While I'm praying for Alex Trebek and his family, because I think I understand what, what they're going for, I am hopeful that um, his fight with this cancer in particular that is often caught late so that you know by the time you show symptoms of it, it tends to be in stage four. 50,000 Americans a year battle this, uh, this type of cancer. So I'm hopeful and I'm interested to watch how uh, one, hopefully Alex Trebek can beat pancreatic cancer, but how he shines a light on, uh, on this deadly disease and, and hopefully raises awareness that will someday lead to a cure. Well, I'll use that as the uh, segue to you know, what I'm interested in looking at going forward is about how we continue to look at this story about how we now have two people who have essentially been cured of the AIDS virus. And, and this is, this is a, a world right now, and, and we are so technologically advanced where we have 
cars driving themselves. We have all sorts of stuff going on, but there's still this really interesting and, and unfortunate uh, aspect of health in the human body that we can't necessarily solve. And for us in our mid forties, when, when the AIDS virus first came um, onto the scene, it was the only thing people could talk about back then. And then holy cow, when Magic Johnson got it, it, it was the end of the innocence. These, these two people have essentially been cured of the AIDS virus. It was on A5 of the Washington Post, not A1, A5. And, and I would have never predicted that back when the AIDS epidemic was, was the story of this country, when Philadelphia, the movie, was made. And now the fact that people are cured of it, it almost seems to be uh, an afterthought. Well, then, then let's apply, let's apply some pressure on, on the cure to the next scourge. Um, and, and that should be, and always has been, uh, cancer. So stand up to cancer and, and let's hope for, let's hope for a cure, not just for Alex Trebek, but for the, the, the countless, countless others out there who are struggling with that disease. Amen. Well said. Uh, gentlemen, what else is out there on the horizon? Anyone? Well, tomorrow is, uh, we're, we're filming this, it's, uh, or filming this, we're uh, taping this, it's Thursday, uh, March 7th. So tomorrow is March 8th, uh, International Women's Day. And paired with that is the opening of the Captain Marvel movie. Um, and I've heard all, I'm, I'm not a, a Marvel or superhero a movie guy. Um, I will go see this movie uh, because my, my daughter is very excited about it uh, for, for many reasons. Bash, you've been following this closely. Uh, any thoughts? Folks, as you know, uh, March is Women's History Month. Uh, important to note that tied in with the Captain Marvel release is also the hashtag Captain Marvel Challenge, uh, established by Frederick Joseph uh, of WeHaveStories.org, the same gentleman behind the Black Panther Challenge. Uh, the Captain Marvel Challenge is arranged to raise money uh, so that uh, young girls, uh, young women uh, who may not have the means to do so, get out to this movie uh, in theaters across the across the United States uh, and, and and actually across the globe for that matter. So again, follow that hashtag. Go check it out. Hashtag Captain Marvel Challenge. Uh, you just heard Chris talk about uh, his daughter uh, Ava going to uh, to see the uh, to see this movie. And uh, I'm going to take Basil and Sabine. Uh, John, I know you're going to take your boys to go and see it as well. Uh, because, again, it's about seeing representation, seeing, uh, seeing women uh, going out uh, and, and doing spectacular things. And, and you need to see that, uh, whether it's on the screen, in person, wherever, wherever we can see it. Uh, so this is really fantastic. Uh, and, again, just coincides right uh, nicely with March being Women's History Month. So I please encourage you to go see Captain Marvel. Uh, bring your whole family, bring your friends, have a great time. Bring the dog if you can. This is going to sound like me being a shill for diversity, but I really love the fact that we're breaking out from the old Christopher Reeve, white Caucasian male superhero, and we've got more Black Panthers getting nominated for Oscars. We've got more... Captain Marvel, women of, of power and substance. I, I hope that this is the trend going forward, that, that more superhero movies involve people of color and women because those are superheroes. They, they, they are 
superheroes and 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 it it should just be an equal conversation about uh people who are superheroes across the spectrum of color and sex well what's what's pretty cool uh, especially for the three of us i mean our entire career 20 years that each of us spent in the navy uh, we, we were surrounded by superheroes of uh, of all different colors, of all different sexes. Um, I mean, it's it's sort of sad that it's taken this long to get a movie like Captain Marvel. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to let that take away from the enthusiasm uh, that is surrounding the movie. But I mean, uh, we grew up around many, many fantastic. Uh, women naval aviators uh, who were getting it done and who were superheroes in their own right. So I'm glad that that movie is uh, is finally coming out. Excellent. Excellent. Agreed. Brie Larson, we're coming. All right. Gentlemen, listen, great pod. Uh, as always, love talking to you guys, love talking about these topics. Uh, folks, we hope you enjoyed it as well. We're out here having fun and, and, and talking about stuff, and we hope you're having fun listening. Uh, with that, ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank you for joining us here on Three C's in a Pod. We always welcome your feedback, so please leave a comment below. Do not hesitate. And as we always say here at 3Cs, be good, be safe, and be better. Thank you for listening to 3Cs in a Pod. Have a great week.